Good morning and welcome to worship. And it is indeed such a blessing to be able to gather together as God's people. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you happen to be joining us for the first time today, um, I'm Pastor Ann and I am honored and blessed to serve alongside Pastor Andy here at The Way. And we just want you to know that you are always welcome here. We are a community of faith here at The Way that believes strongly in sharing in hope, living with purpose, for the sake of others. Yes. The other evening, Jim and I were watching a movie, and someone was taking advantage of the main character. And I found myself wanting the villain to be found out so he could cause no further harm. It seems that we as human beings are hardwired to value justice and fairness. When we're wronged or when we see examples of injustice, we feel very strong feelings of anger, frustration, and confusion. We have a craving to see ourselves and others treated fairly and to see our society function to ensure that justice is afforded for all. As we enter into week five of our journey towards a Jesus-shaped life, we're going to be looking at the justice of Jesus. There is something satisfying about seeing justice done. Whether in real life or in the movies, it always feels good when the good guys defeat the bad guys. But we have to acknowledge that in real life it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the strong take advantage of the weak, the guilty go unpunished, and unfairness seems to stand. Throughout Scripture, though, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are called to pursue justice. And here are just a few examples of those Scriptures. First, from Psalm 82, 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. And then from the book of Isaiah, the first chapter, verse 17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. And then Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And then for those of us who kind of sometimes struggle with Jesus' words and how to show love and, and speak truth in love as well, um, in the book of Luke, if you think that Jesus doesn't confront people, go to the book of Luke, page 11, uh, the 11th chapter, and read where he talks about the Pharisees. This is the 42nd verse of chapter 11. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So as followers of Jesus, our sense of justice is imparted to us by our creator God. He's loving, he's kind, and he's merciful. And he's also righteous and holy and just. 
Please turn with me to the book of Matthew, and let's hear how Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah and bring justice to the nations. Hear the word of God. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Now, we have to ask ourselves, aware of what? The, the chapter or the verses right before that say, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill him. So aware of this, that the Pharisees are plotting to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear most gracious God, um, we often struggle with justice and what we're to do in the face of injustice. So, Lord, I ask this morning that you speak to our hearts, that you speak to our minds, that you open our eyes to how you see justice, and that we may follow you in everything that we do and say. And it is in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. As followers of Jesus, we are to pursue justice because Jesus is just. Speaking about Jesus, Matthew 12 tells us, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. Jesus came to bring men justice. Now, while the Greeks defined justice as giving to God and to men that which is their due, Jesus showed us how to live in such a way that both God and man received their proper place in our lives. He showed us how to behave both toward God and to toward our fellow man. Jesus came to encourage us to honor God with our lives and to honor our fellow man in our interactions. Biblically, Justice could be defined as defending the vulnerable. Zechariah 7, 8 to 10 reminds us of how God sees justice. And the word of God came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. 
Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. The Lord commanded his people to show mercy and compassion toward all who were vulnerable. Justice can also be defined as love made visible. When we love someone, we want what is best for them, and we want to do whatever we can do that will help them in their time of need. James 2, 15 to 17 reminds us, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James stresses to us the importance of putting our faith into action by acting justly with those in need. But most broadly, justice is about reflecting heaven on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly. There's no sin, no one treats another unfairly, and no one goes hungry. All is as God originally intended. When we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, we are asking for the realities of heaven to show up in our zip code, here, now. Now, there are many, many issues in our world, issues of justice, that confront us today. There's racial inequality. There's human trafficking. There's abortion. There's homelessness. There's poverty, there's climate concerns, and many more. When we begin engaging with justice issues, some might say that we're becoming political, and they might label us as belonging to one ideological camp or another. But the justice of Jesus is not political, it's biblical. I'm going to say that again. The justice of Jesus is not political. It's biblical. There are more than than 2,000 verses in Scripture on justice, second only to idolatry. As someone said, God is not a donkey or an elephant. He's a lion and a lamb. He's king of kings, and we are citizens of his kingdom first and foremost. In Matthew 6:33, Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is life when God is fully in charge. Seeking God's kingdom first means that we won't form our position on any issue based on a political party's platform or an ideological camp. 
No political party fully represents the kingdom of God. That is not their purpose. Dr. Larry Hurtado was a scholar who wrote about the history of early Christianity. He followed how this tiny group of early Jesus followers became a movement which overcame paganism and the Roman Empire. Aside from the power of the Holy Spirit, he contends that the reason that the church grew was that there was no other community like it in the ancient world. The early church was marked by five very distinctive features, all of which made it stand out from the society around it. The first one, it was multiracial and multi-ethnic. Jesus called all to him. The second one, the early church cared for the poor. They asked the wealthier of their members to help to share with those in need. The third one, it stood against infanticide and abortion. The fourth one, it held that marriage and sexuality was between one man and one woman for life. And the fifth characteristic was it was nonviolent, advocating being pacism, um, uh, both personally and nationally. Now, today, we might look at those traits and we might consider that those first two traits would be considered liberal positions because they deal with issues of race and class. Those second two issues would probably be considered conservative positions, but the last one doesn't follow in either of those categories. So the early church could not be considered either liberal or conservative. And this wasn't because the church was trying to be centrist or avoid taking controversial positions. To the contrary, those positions that the early church took were very unusual at their time. The reason the early church doesn't fit a category is that it is based on the kingdom principles, not on political platforms or societal norms. No single human ideology mirrors the values of the kingdom. Our goal is not to advance a political ideology. Our goal as Christians is to live according to the way of Jesus. This means that we will approach each justice issue asking questions. One question we might ask would be, how would Jesus express love with truth and grace in this situation? We might even ask ourselves the question, what will the resolution of this issue look like in heaven? The most loving response might not always be immediately apparent to us in any given situation. But if we seek the Holy Spirit and his guidance, he will guide us to seek Jesus' way instead of simply following the crowd or our favorite cable network. 
As we look to the life of Jesus and the mandate given throughout Scripture, it's clear that Christ's followers are called to do justice. We're called to take action and confront evil, to care for the vulnerable, and to make right that which is wrong. If we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we will work on issues of justice as Jesus did, with grace and truth. Another important thing for us to remember is that biblical justice doesn't just focus on a temporal view of addressing injustices in society, but it starts with the eternal in mind. It begins by seeing people as God sees them, recognizing that we are all created in the image of God, and that we are all sheep who have gone astray in need of a shepherd. Those of us who found the good shepherd are to introduce him to others as we seek to pursue physical and spiritual freedom for the oppressed so that they too can become the people that God has created them to be. Our ultimate example of justice is found in the life and person of Jesus, who healed the sick, defended the weak, and ultimately paid the price for our sins and freed us from our oppression to sin and death. He turned no one away, and he showed God's love to all who would draw near. Divine justice is God's merciful fidelity to his promises. And this finds its culmination in Jesus Christ, through whom the justice of God is revealed and through whom those who believe in him are made just. We are justified. The end, of go- the end goal of biblical justice is seeing lives reconciled to God and eternally transformed, no longer in bondage to sin and death. Through the centuries, Christians have established hospitals and orphanages to care for the vulnerable. Christ's followers led the way to abolish the practice of slavery in the Western world. And today, there are organizations like the International Justice Mission, where Christians are helping God's will to be done on earth toward the poor and enslaved. May we continue to make Jesus known through our lives, reaching out to the vulnerable and oppressed. One day, one day, when Jesus returns, there will be perfect justice carried out by a perfectly holy and just God. We will continue to live with unfairness and injustice until that time. But until that day, may we follow the call of Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let us pray.
Dear most gracious God, so many times we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do to make our world a different place. But you tell us that um, we're to love and we're to introduce people to Jesus because it is through his life and his death and his resurrection that we can all be born to new life. (coughs) So, Lord, we just... um, Continue to submit our will to your will. And when we're unsure, to search the scriptures, to come to you, to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us in how to move forward. And it is in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. In just a few minutes, we are going to be partaking of Holy Communion. So those of you at home, if you haven't already done so, we're going to get some juice and some crackers or some bread. Um, But I want to share with you a little bit before we come to the Lord's table. Um, Those of you who know me well know that I am an avid reader. And um, I saw something on Facebook not long ago that was a husband responding to his wife. And he said, honey, you've got to quit telling people that your that all your books can fit into a box because our house is not a box. Well, I can identify that with that, and Jim can too, because we've got bookshelves all over our house, and not only are those bookshelves full, but now I have stacks that are growing. So I am an avid reader. I came upon a book, and, and I have books that people have given me, and sometimes it's not the time to read them, so I'll stick them on a shelf. And this is one of those books that... Um, I don't know where it came from. I don't, I don't know if I bought it or if somebody gave it to me. But I saw it this past week, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read this. The name of it is Taste and See, and it's Awakening Our Spiritual Senses, and it's by, uh, by Tim Dearborn. And as I read this part of it, I thought, wow, this is powerful. So I am going to share this with you today. He's talking about spiritual disciplines to start with, but he's talking about Holy Communion in particular. So listen to um, what he has to say about Holy Communion and see if it resonates with your soul like it did with mine. He starts out by saying spiritual disciplines are tools that God has provided, which we can use to plant our lives ever more fully in the soil of his grace that he might grow in us the fruit of his spirit. And then as he starts to talk about Holy Communion, he starts out by saying, delighting in the banquet requires only a few prerequisites. First, we must be hungry. Thus Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that's from Matthew 5, 6. And the, the real question in spiritual discipline is not, are we disciplined enough, but are we hungry enough? I like that. As, as we saw in it, well, and then he talks, talks about the, the Lord's Supper, and he says, the host, the provider of the banquet, the servant at the banquet, and the banquet itself are one, Jesus Christ. Our role is simple, to come hungry, to feast, 
to be thankful and to go home by a different route. He says, the first three are obvious. The fourth catches us off guard. You can't feast at this banquet and go home the same way you came. Everything is different after you've eaten. You will live forever as one who has feasted at the king's table. There is an accountability, a status, a representative role that shapes us. If we're thankful for this feast, we'll live differently because of having eaten there. The kingdom of God is not a two-class society with a high spiritual class for giants, clergy, missionaries, and saints, and a lower class for ordinary Christians. We are all ordinary saints. Ordinary because we're all servants of God. Saints because in Christ we've been adopted sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. As Peter writes to the whole church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that's First Peter 2.9. I love what he says about our role Our role when we come to the Lord's table is, number one, to come hungry. The second part, to feast. The third part, to be thankful, full of gratitude. And the fourth part, to go home by a different route. I love those words. They spoke to my soul, and I hope they spoke to yours.